and Titty Ring say, what you see, man? We got these questions. Is it true that you've sold your soul? I say, hey, man, I don't know. Let me a quarter, won't you? All right, welcome to the Retro Spectacle Podcast. My name is David Biggs. Across from me is Jason Evans. Here my co-hosts for this venture. We are a brand new podcast, and I have a brand new beer. And uh, take it away, man. Uh... I think I'm hearing your echo there, Dave. Yeah, well. <laughs> Nothing's ever perfect in the beginning. Uh, so, welcome to the Drink 5 Retro Spectacle Podcast. Um, up until now, we've been a fantasy football podcast. Uh, we're going to take the offseason to expand our format, uh, expand our minds, and include a variety of topics. Um, you know, we still are going to have shows, even in the offseason, where we talk about football. But we're going to have a variety of topics. So, um We'll drink a few beers, we'll talk about football, we'll probably drink a few beers and talk about anything else we want to talk about. Douglas Adams, Drones, Bacon Fest, Craft Beer, um, whatever seems interesting to us is what we're going to you know, start diving into. Uh, so tonight's show is our first attempt, um, and you know, attempt may be the wrong word, because it's going to be successful, damn it. Uh, and we're going to be talking about television, the history of TV, some of our favorite TV shows, how TV changed over time, and how it's changed you know, America. Uh, TV is a good place to start the discussion, in my opinion, because the entire experience of watching football is watching it on TV. You know, only 1% of people who watch a football game on a Sunday are actually there at the game. The other 100 million people are just, you know, watching from home. So television feels like a natural place for us to transition to. Uh, so after tonight's show and every week going forward, we're also going to do an extra 30-minute episode where we talk about a current television show. We're going to start with Better Call Saul from the creators of Breaking Bad. Um, the, the first two episodes were on this past Sunday and Monday, and um, you know we'll probably get to other shows as they come along, like Game of Thrones. We talked about Orphan Black last year, too. Okay, and that particular show is called TV Soup. So, uh, you know, you can mix and match uh, in case you're not interested in Better Call Saul. Although, as we have a lot to talk about later, there's no reason not to be. Exactly. I agree. Uh, So, Dave, this is the most important question we have in every podcast. What are you drinking? So, I have a combination of things. Um, I have a Miller Lite in a can, which is sort of the low end of the spectrum. And then I also have a Hop Slam, Bell's Hop Slam. Which is a, is it 10%? It is 10%. You bring it down our credibility with that Miller Lite there, Dave. It's a 10% uh, ABV double IPA from Bells in Kalamazoo. Uh, brewed with honey, unpasteurized, very interesting beer that I always try to, to go after every year because it's only available seasonally. And also, you can only have about three or four of them before you collapse in a heap on the floor. So tonight... I think I'm just going to have about three quarters of one because that will put me in a good mindset. (laughs) That's just enough to not get yourself entirely hop slammed. Right. Uh, So we've also got um, some Two Brothers beers. We've got Cain and Abel. We've got the Sidekick. We will sample some of those later. Uh, So, you know, we wanted to talk about television uh, and we decided to kind of just dive into the history of it and look at what used to be, uh, you know, how it got to where it is, right? Um, how it's changing people. So um, TV was invented back in, you know, they started inventing it, uh, I guess, in like the 1890s. There was some things along with film, uh, but film was a lot easier because they could just record something and then play it back. It was about projecting the pictures. It wasn't about transmitting uh, the, you know, signal from somewhere else. And that's what uh, sets TV apart from film. Film was about making art. Television is about transmitting information. 
Uh, now that information can be art, it can be news, it can be sports, it can be whatever you want it to be. And that's, I think, one of the fun things about television. It's about freedom. Um, so the first televisions, what were they like? You know, it was this little two-inch screen that you could barely see a, a grainy, like, blurry photo on. Like, nowadays, it's the, it would look like the kind of crap they put on, like, a Ghost Hunter show. Where it's like, oh, it's a spooky ghost. No, that's actually what the early TVs looked like. Ooh. Right. <laughs> um, so they were mechanical in nature, meaning they would actually have moving parts in them to help display the picture on the screen. Like everything else, right? Like cars, etc. Cars used to have just basically three components in them, like a carburetor right. and an engine and a transmission. Uh, and now everything's controlled by computers, etc. Sure. So now then, you know... In the 1920s, they developed a television that was completely electronic. It was called, it ran on a CRT tube, a cathode ray tube, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of before. It was the most common used uh, device for televisions up until probably, you know, just the end of the last century. Um, every single boxy TV that you've ever seen in your life has a cathode ray tube in it. And what it is, is just a little electron beam that... Um, you know, uses uh, an electromagnetic field to pull the beam in different directions, uh, and it just scans over your television, and it scans the entire screen 30 times a second in order to produce a frame. Well, it scans the screen one entire time, and it produces a frame. It does that 30 times a second, you know, to produce moving video. Uh, so, you know, television went from being just a little mechanical thing to already being this awesome new electronic invention, you know, before World War II that would display a picture on your screen without any moving parts, and it could be transmitted from a nearby station. So, you know, in New York was kind of the area where they were inventing lots of things. New York, New Jersey, that sort of area in uh, America at that time, there was lots of inventions coming out of there. They had the first television station out there. Um, I believe it was in uh, it was in New York. It was m made by General Electric. So they had a little, you know, kind of a college radio sort of thing because a lot of this stuff built up around research at college campuses, uh, much like the Internet did, you know, what, 50, 60 years later. So you have to have a, uh, a something that's broadcasting a signal before you have the television, right? Uh, well, you know, what is it? Chicken or the egg, kind of, I suppose. Really, what you're looking at is um, you have to have both of them in order for them to be useful. You have to be transmitting a signal in order for the, to know if the television is doing anything. Uh, but you have to have somebody, you know, transmitting a signal in order to make a television useful. So the mechanical TVs didn't have a broadcast signal? They did. They ran on a broadcast signal. It's just that, um, uh, you know, with anything mechanical, it can wear out. But... You know, the electronic ones were so much more efficient, they were so much better that it very quickly phased it out. And they were probably built really well, unlike today's uh, electronics. Right, and I mean, you know, they <laughs> used the crazy, like, lead glass and the vacuum tubes and everything. Um, you know, it made a CRT really sturdy. You know, people have dropped televisions before and stuff. That stuff, it's really hard to break those things. Sure. Um, so, uh, you know, the first television station, uh, not the first, but the second television station ever created by General Electric uh, wound up being WNBC, which is, you know, the New York City NBC affiliate. That's how far back, you know, some of the bigger networks can trace their lineage. Um, 
So back in the day, they didn't have much. They had news, they had live sporting events, they had baseball. And I'm talking like the early 40s. This is before the United States entered the war. Uh, you know, they would show Brooklyn Dodgers games. They had a quiz show. They had news. But it wasn't like it was being broadcast 24 hours a day. Um, back then, they didn't really have commercials or anything. It was kind of like, um, I suppose you could compare it to YouTube channels and stuff from, what, 10 years ago almost? When the very first people who were uh, uh, broadcasting their own content just on the internet like the first podcasts and the first YouTube streams. It was a lot like that. There wasn't a whole lot going on. There was a few companies who were making it work, um, but nobody was really making any money on it. It was almost a hobby, hobbyist or like a rich person thing. Well, right, because there have to be enough people that have televisions before someone can be a popular TV show. Right, and they wouldn't like, you know, baseball games around, but they wouldn't broadcast that stuff live. They would tape the baseball game and then go to a television studio and then... Um, and then broadcast it. And one of the interesting things is that they wouldn't really be able to, uh, like, they couldn't edit uh, TV shows, right? Not, not edit. They couldn't broadcast them taped. So nowadays, what they do, they record a television show, and they broadcast it at 7 o'clock at night. Like, the very earliest television shows, they had to do the whole thing live. It was like filming a play, essentially. Before they learned uh, and got all the technology right, you know, they just basically had to do it all in one shot, one take, for the entire show. Right, which I guess is, is part of the reason why a lot of that early programming didn't have a whole lot going on in it, or it was variety acts or something that did uh, normally take place on a stage. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, lots of variety shows back then. Um, some of them are really good. Uh, so at the same time that we were doing all this, um, the BBC in England uh, was, you know, they were developing the same sort of technology. Everyone was kind of working together. Uh, so the BBC was actually the first regular public broadcasting station. They started in November of 1936. Um, it's the BBC. But they, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> they use a different model, right? In America, we are used to watching commercials on television. We know that the commercials pay for the shows that we watch. Um, in England, everyone had... Everyone who owns a television has to pay a license fee. And you have to pay a license fee for every single television. I was looking this up a couple months ago. I believe it's something on the order uh, close to about 200 US dollars per year. Is that still going on there in England now? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so do, are any of our stations in America, uh, were they or are they now publicly funded? Uh, yes, we do have PBS. PBS was the first uh, network created after the major networks. But that's, so, that's like on donations, right? Uh, well, tax dollars. Like I'm not paying funded. PBS if I don't if I don't call into the show with Bob Hope on it. Oh no, you do. Uh, <laughs> PBS is partially funded through taxes. Okay, so the government money is goes to PBS. Yes, um, and it was the first you know network outside of the major NBC, ABC, and CBS uh, to actually start a television network. Right. Um, and that was sort of the idea that they would. Uh, there would have to be someone to provide uh, program programming for the public at large with no um, bias in it. Now, you know, that gets a little murky these days, I suppose, when people are wondering who's actually sponsoring NPR and PBS and, you know, stuff like that. But I suppose that's not what we're here for today. So just talking about how uh, BBC, for example, 
uh, and there's more than one BBC channel. I imagine they only started with one, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So now they have BBC One, BBC Two, BBC Three, BBC Seven, BBC Heaven. You know? Right, exactly. Yeah. That's right, Austin. <laughs> so for for that, uh, because it was publicly funded, is that kind of programming, was it different from the kind of programming that was here in America? Because that was all uh, capitalist uh, programming. Uh, people spent their own money to put whatever they wanted or what they thought would make them money. Uh, the BBC, if I'm hearing this correctly, then uh, wasn't dependent on any particular uh, any particular kind of of uh, of content that would make them more money because they were already funded. Um, you're probably right there. They were probably able to take a few more chances uh, later on because all they had to do was uh, have the idea sold from one guy, and he was just spending someone else's money. Um, so you know, both models created good television. Uh, on the BBC, uh, you know, they had, uh, and there's a great uh, dramatization of, um, you know, early news shows on the BBC uh, called The Hour that BBC put on, you know, a couple years ago. Um, but it's a good, a good look into, you know, the kind of, the very first news programs that were like an hour to talk in depth about just a couple of major topics in the news. You know, we're not going to spend a lot of time. Uh, going over sports and weather and all that crap. It's going to be, it's like 60 minutes today, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. First news magazine, if you will. Uh, so they were able to come up with stuff like that. Uh, in the early 60s, they created Doctor Who, and that was, you know, that became a huge phenomenon in England and, you know, is rebooted and is becoming a huge internet phenomenon at the very least. I know it's a giant thing in uh, England anyways. Well, yeah, I mean, it's pretty big over here now. You see Doctor Who stands in in, uh, all kinds of places that you wouldn't expect them. But, yeah, it's the longest-running science fiction show of all time. Now, this uh, brings it into more of a modern age. But uh, to your point, I think it started back in the 60s or something like that. So is is that when when broadcasting was really uh, put into a new level, when there were more channels, when there was... Uh, bigger televisions when families own more than one of them is that when you started getting all these like sitcoms and actual uh, science fiction and and things like that um well you know a lot of that stuff was happening in the 50s too the ha- the 50s was kind of a big you know kind of the, what they call the golden age the first golden age of television from the like early to mid 50s through the 60s usually um usually well, I, I was I was literally I was looking at it and like they kind of rank the timeline different for every country. They're like you know, America was for this these years, but Canada was really five years behind, like in all stages of it, because they were trying to develop their own uh, domestic television, um, which is interesting because uh, you know when you think about it, when I was a kid, I would think about television shows and wonder why everyone didn't have the American television shows that I was watching. Right. Like, why didn't people watch the really common stuff, like, uh, you know, Full House or whatever it was? Uh, and it, it wasn't until I got older that I realized, you know, other countries just make their own programming. Even though, even other English-speaking countries that are very similar, and, you know, that stuff never finds its way down here. Well, that said, a lot of American... Not always, anyways. A lot of American programming is widespread in those other countries, especially the English-speaking ones, but... Even the ones that don't speak English nowadays, they have uh, channels that broadcast American TV, and sometimes they're dubbed or yeah, Game of Thrones is in or like, probably forty countries. Oh, for sure, because everyone is cool with violence and sex. Yes, you know, so uh, well, almost everyone. It probably doesn't air in China, but you know, almost almost it's everyone. probably pirated heavily in China. Yeah. <laughs> 
Because almost everyone loves that shit. Right. Uh, so, going back, uh, you know, I think it, it had a lot to do with, by the mid-50s, most houses, I shouldn't say mo- most, as in more than 50% of American houses, had televisions. Okay? So, when you get to that, like, saturation point, that's when there's going to be television coverage everywhere. There was still only the three networks. That lasted until, you know, really until cable. There was only the three major networks. After a while, you'd get regional networks. Like, in Chicago, we have WGN. Uh, you had WFLD, which was became the Fox affiliate when Fox came around. Um, but for the most part, you have just the three networks. But they were still creating stuff. You know, in, uh, in England, they had Doctor Who. A couple years earlier in America, we had The Twilight Zone. That's a show that kind of uh, lives on beyond its day uh, as... St- you know, presented as a sci-fi show, but really is a show about morals, and it's really the underlying fa- like theme of most sci-fi is that they take this awesome setting, um, this kind of uh, you know this fantasy setting really, and use it as a way to teach uh, morals and to teach a lesson in a story. Sure, sci-fi and most broadcasting, with the exception of maybe reality shows, although there could be yeah. some positive points in reality shows too, teaching you what not to be like, etc. <laughs> but science fiction—if you know shows, how to read it, read the cues. Yeah, they—they they are a platform for uh, philosophical discussion and a discussion on morality uh, and a lot of very uh, difficult uh, subject matters. So way before there were things like this brought up on regular sitcoms or in the news or even in family discussions in real life, talking to each other, uh, these things were brought up on these old programs. Um, so that's that's very interesting. Um, I, yeah. I used to watch some of that stuff when I was younger, but what's interesting to think about is when you put all this in perspective, right? So these shows maybe started in the 60s, uh, before that the 50s, um, like you mentioned. Yeah. And that's still only, only so far... Uh, you know, long ago, to the point where there are people that are still alive that were around for the the real first golden days of television. Um, oh, absolutely! And that must be very interesting. It makes me it makes me kind of wonder what's going to happen going forward. But that's another show, I guess, or maybe maybe a little bit maybe later. maybe yeah, the rest of the show. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's really cool how I don't know. We're the first generation to grow up with the internet, but we're the second or third generation to grow up with television. You know, this is this happened to everyone else already. Where like they were watching cartoons on Sunday morning, uh, or whatever show you know was on for them. It wasn't always Sunday morning cartoons, uh, because cartoons weren't you know that big yet. Okay, so I know that you, for example, and I know a lot of other people too, uh, bless their souls, that didn't have cable. Uh, <laughs> this is true in their houses. So when you were younger, your family or just you by yourself or your siblings. Uh, so what what did you guys? watch when you were very young and then you know when you were older in elementary school junior high um did you just watch what everybody else did did you have a particular taste in shows do you have like a couple favorites or things you remember more than anything else oh sure um there was a lot of watching after um after school we we got like you know a lot of tv habits i suppose that people develop are based on when their parents let them watch tv if they put restrictions on that yeah so so how did that work you weren't allowed so to watch so we weren't allowed until, to watch it after dinner did you have to do your homework first no it was just not <laughs> allowed after dinner not like, allowed at when all when dad got home no tv well that's insane well we didn't have cable it's like, probably a lot different now we didn't have 
It's like dad gets home, all TV. Yeah, because my dad loves TV, <laughs> and I feed him lots of really good shows. Sure. We're both watching Justified right now, and he got real excited about the last episode and texted me um, this thing about it. Uh, it was a spoiler contained in a note, and I was like, oh, yeah, well, I haven't uh, watched the episode yet. And he goes, oh, sorry, I told you about spoiler. And I'm like, oh, I didn't really read that last text either. Thanks. <laughs> right. Uh, so anyways. You, so you were only allowed to watch after after school. Right. But before your dad got home. Right. So how much time is that? I did a couple hours, maybe. I mean, that's a lot of TV per day if you think about it. Uh, back then, it seemed like a lot of TV per day. Nowadays, it doesn't seem that out of the ordinary to be like, yes, I watch two hours a day. Oh, it sounds like somebody has good self-control now. Yeah, right, exactly. So, um, so what did so you watch then? The biggest shows that we watched uh, were the shows that we watched together. Uh, because we didn't have cable, there was only ever one thing on anyways. So sometimes it was uh, something that you know one of my younger sisters really wanted to watch uh, or something that I wanted to watch or you know something that we all agreed on. So there was a lot of Full House reruns. Uh, there was a lot of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for a couple of years. Oh, boy. That was, that we were heavy into that for like uh, two maybe years. It was it was a bad period of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, The Simpsons was the one show that we all got to watch. And it was a show that we got to watch after dinner because it was on Sunday night. Uh, and we all loved it. Um, and that show, more than any other show that we watched, was like... A family event and something that we all relate to to this day, uh, and something that we all loved at the same time. So that um, you know, and people talk about that happening with uh, families in the fifties and stuff like that. And that's exact. It didn't happen all the time with TV, but it took a a special show to do that. And I think it did that for a lot of families. Well, it's interesting to me that you say that, for example, because. Uh, your your parents imposed restrictions upon your TV watching time, and they uh, didn't let you watch after dinner or uh, before school. But they did all sit down and watch The Simpsons. Now, right? I mean, there were um, things that happened in The Simpsons that, for whatever reason, um, lots of families didn't approve of. For example, my parents didn't want us to watch want us to watch The Simpsons at all. So it was actually not allowed technically in it was, the house. Okay. If, See, if if all the people were you know hanging out, that's interesting. My parents never really. I mean, we had just over the air television. There isn't anything really too racy on over the air television. So we never had restrictions on what we could watch. Uh, we really well, just had restrictions on when we could watch it to limit us from watching too much TV. Right, but it sounds like there wasn't very much that you liked on TV anyway. <laughs> Dude, there wasn't that much. I mean, I got a computer like in the 90s, and then I didn't need TV as much for quite a while. But you didn't have cable, so you sort of missed out on all the shows that were on that you weren't able to watch at that You're time. You're right. I never really got into Beavis and Butthead. Um, there, I'm familiar with several of the Nickelodeon shows from that time, but I never really watched them. What's really weird is that the one show from that time that I did watch that was on cable was Fraggle Rock. Which nobody ever watched because oh, it was I've on seen, HBO. I've seen a ton of Fraggle Rock. So a lot of people haven't seen it. But I would go to my grandma's and she had, you know, whenever we went to anyone's house, they always had cable and it was always a treat. Um, but when we go to my grandma's, she had HBO too. Uh, and I could watch Fraggle Rock and there was always movies on and stuff like that. Uh, TV was much better when you left my house. <laughs> and to this day, my parents do not have cable. We had cable in my house, which was just plug in. And, you know, plug in and go and make sure they don't notice that it's working. 
Uh, and that lasted for about four months. And after that, you know, we went back to uh, just streaming everything. And that's what we have set up now. The Roku is a wonderful thing. But we'll get to those awesome things later. Um, we were kind of winding down the uh, so-called golden age of television. Um, are there any shows from that period that you watched, Dave? Like stuff not stuff that was, like actually was made maybe in the late 50s or the early 60s? Uh, not quite. I mean, I, there's a lot of shows that I, I watched when I was growing up still. Uh, but you don't want to hear about that. You don't want to hear about the shows that I that I watched when I was a kid because you didn't have cable, and that's just going <laughs> to so make I would you be, sad. I would be insanely jealous. Yeah. What was going around? Like we're, we're we're moving into that period of time, anyways. What were you watching like in the mid '80s on cable? Uh, okay, so mid '80s. I mean, I was born in 1982, and so mid '80s is like when I was four. So I, I don't. I think more of like the early okay. '90s for me is what really grabbed me. But I do okay. remember. I have memories of being uh, really little and watching um, watching He Man, and I, I remember that mostly. He Man was on free TV. Yeah, and I remember that mostly just because of the fact that I couldn't ever read the titles of the episodes before they came on so i had to like scream at the top of my lungs to get someone to come down and tell me what it was before it went away (laughs) from the screen and you know i think that the producers and um you know whoever did that show probably knew that that was the case for those kinds of cartoons because they left the titles on there for like a minute and a half so the kids could try and read it well, I don't know if it was try to read it or scream and annoy their parents. Well, eventually, but, like somebody was going to teach you how to read it, so they would stop annoying you. Yes, <laughs> uh, but so what I watched, I watched, um, I watched dinosaurs. Uh, that was uh, on TGIF, an early '90s show. Are you familiar with that? Oh yeah, that was on TGIF. Right. You know what's funny is sometimes I'm the baby, people, not the mama. Yeah, sometimes people with cable don't know what was on for free TV. For free TV people, they well, just assume that nothing was ever on. Well, I don't think Fraggle Rock was always an HBO show either. To be honest with you, because we didn't it, have it HBO. It started as an HBO show, but we watched it. So maybe, maybe it, I think they played it again like years later. Maybe there were reruns or something. Yeah, uh, yeah I, it was like in '86, so I, it would have been pretty young for me too. I watched. I mean, I watched a lot of network shows. I don't really know what channels they were on because I had a bunch of channels. But uh, like Fresh Prince of Bel Air, um, Ducktales was the one I always watched. Uh, Family Matters, um, yeah. And then I I didn't watch You Can't Do This on Television very much because it's an older show. I think it was on like in the early to mid '80s. But my sister did, who's five years older than me. Um, we were talking about things in the '90s. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers was like a little bit after what I was into. I was more into like. Um, uh, well, I guess um, some of the sitcom-y sort of things. Okay. Um, like Step by Step? Or, um, like you said, Family Matters? Well, maybe it was just different stuff. I don't know. Like, Everyone loved the Urkel. I watched Tiny Toons a lot, Tiny Toon Adventures. I don't know. Tiny Toons and Animaniacs were, oh yeah. Oh, they Animaniacs. Were the shit. Uh, and then I never watched Rugrats very much, but I was kind of into uh, Doug and... Uh, uh, Rocco's Modern Life. Okay, so we really have a, a much more common background, like more so than we thought, I think. Well, and, and so there were things like, uh, yeah, Clarissa Explains It All, Saved by the Bell. Like These are all just television yeah, shows that everybody Saved by watches. The Bell. Yep. I guess maybe... Anything that was on in the afternoon, I could watch. We're talking about like after, after being kids is when the separation occurs, when uh, like some of those cable shows are really good, but they're directed towards the young adult audience, not the children. Sure. Right. So, sure, so maybe like that. maybe that's a little bit different. But yeah, I guess a lot of these shows 
were um, were all on around that time, probably like late '80s to mid '90s. Um, and uh, yeah, I was a sucker for all that stuff. And I didn't have any restrictions on uh, amount of time, but we were always like a you know sort of a active family anyway. So it didn't really matter. Right. There was always something else to do. Yeah. 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 That's mostly how it was. I mean. There's always practice to go to or someone's game. Sure. Uh, so, you know, once uh, the networks left their so-called golden era, uh, new technology started developing, right? There was satellite television and there was cable television. Early satellite television was ridiculous because you had to have a satellite dish in your yard that was uh, 10 meters in diameter, I think it was, which is 30 feet, Okay. If you don't speak metric, um, that's, I don't know, that's absurdly huge in my opinion. So, um, you know, once people uh, kind of moved on from regular television, once the technologies developed more, people start getting cable television, and then they have to fill cable television. So they start putting all the regional networks that were around, uh, they start forming into bigger networks. Like I believe... You know, TNT and TBS, they were regional networks around the southeast that became cable networks. Um, You know, you had CNN, you had MTV and Comedy Central, and all these networks uh, start coming around. And really, uh, what's cool about it is that, you know, then people have all this extra programming, uh, and there's this huge empty canvas. And what, what, I don't know, I don't know how many you... Uh, original programs there really were for early cable if it's as prolific as it is today um, but I think that you know that is really what challenged the networks to create better television because once they weren't able uh, once they had actual competition uh, you know their numbers start going down sure so I, I guess uh, that that brings me to uh, some some shows that we were watching when we were a little bit older right like um, for example, uh, one of the shows that I really liked when I was younger, although when I was really young, I wasn't even able to, to, to stand it sometimes was the X-Files, this long running, uh, TV program that was probably the scariest thing on TV that was allowed, um, that wasn't like a horror movie, um, was, was pretty awesome for me because I was into that kind of stuff. But now the X-Files I think was on Fox, right? So was yes. Fox uh, just a regular network? Uh, Fox was an over-the-air network. And then stuff on, uh, on Comedy Central and MTV, around that time they had Liquid Television, which was, was kind of crazy, um, shows like Daria and, uh, shows like The Max, um, and you mentioned Beavis and Butthead, although I was never really a big fan of, of that programming. Yeah, yeah, me neither. You know, uh, but Ren and Stimpy is a show I could get behind, and I'm pretty sure that was a cable show. Oh, yes, yes, uh, and that was one that I always heard lots about. Um, but yes, Fox uh, launched October 9th, 1986, and it was the first major uh, competitor, uh, the, the, the most successful uh, competitor to actually become a fourth network. And it's clearly a fourth network by now. Oh, yeah. You know, they have the NFL. They count. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just to get a little retro spectacle, if you will, um, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about what television we were watching and i mentioned that you know television brings people together right um but it also can do it in really kind of scarier ways so the first thing that everyone remembers hearing about on television um was the kennedy assassination 
that was the first, you know, people still, like, when World War II ended, when they dropped the bomb, people still got most of their news through newsreels at movie theaters and stuff like that. Um, or newspapers, really. But the Kennedy assassination was really one of the first gigantic events that happened that was uh, instantaneously broadcast throughout the country. Uh, everyone found out about it immediately, right? Everyone found out about the same day. Um so, you know, TV is then, you know, TV sort of, you know, that's the first shot fired, if you will, in the battle for TV to take over as the largest, most important media in news, right? So before that, it was radio and it was newspaper. Once TV can show that they're that good, that it's that much of an impact to spread a story, that's the beginning of the end for the old traditional media. So that's also being able to see something as opposed to just uh, listening to it. Well, a picture is worth a thousand words. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the problem with that, right, is that when you get into the 70s and 80s and 90s and, and obviously today, uh, you have all these TV programs that um, are trying to reflect life. And so in addition to just the good uh, of the programs and the morality and the philosophical conversations like we talked about some sci-fi programs bring you also have acts of violence and uh, and and drama and, and serious uh, tilts of emotion and yeah. th- those are things that people um, especially young people were never really uh, shown and affected by before outside of their own home um, especially if they're very young for example you'd think that and there's been discussions about this forever ever since there's been television that they could be affected in some way, some kind of uh, sociological way from from watching these things, whether or not they mean to, whether or not they know what it means. Uh, if you're six years old and you see people dying on the news, or if you're you know 15 years old watching a sitcom and someone shoots someone else, or uh, someone gets raped, or someone gets murdered, like yeah. that that stuff had never really happened outside of. Uh, fictional radio broadcast, for example. That's true. And I don't know, there's something to be said about when you go to a movie theater uh, and you're, uh, you know that you're going somewhere, that you're moving into a realm of fantasy, if you will. But when you have this, all these things being beamed directly into your home and you never leave it, it's almost like a 1984 scenario where, like, you know, it's just always ever present and you can't escape it and it starts to run your life. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, people, hell, like there's a Dennis Leary joke about how people didn't want to turn their televisions off anymore once they saw Jack Ruby kill Lee Harvey Oswald live on television. They were filming the prisoner transfer, and a guy walked up to him and shot him. And everyone freaked the hell out. Sure, because you could never have that live news. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but that's one of the problems too, right? Because you, you have a news channel, which is fine. That's great. But then you have this news channel, let's say uh, we live in the Chicago area, so you've got a Chicago news broadcast telling you about all of the terrible things that have happened in this huge radius of this giant city of Chicago and surrounding areas. Uh, It makes people afraid to even go outside and do their normal routines because they're broadcasting literally every bad thing that's happened, uh, whereas before... You, you probably wouldn't really be privy to any of that information unless it happened in your own neighborhood or, uh, or you know, greater or area. But we've never had this sort of uh, um, aggregation of, of negativity uh, and bad things all broadcast yeah. at one time at you. 
Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And and even on the radio, they wouldn't do that. They'd have the big broadcast. They'd have the big news stories. You know, it's not focused on the little uh, the little sectors, the little regions. Right. And they were able to then start showing pictures of Vietnam, right? So then everyone gets to see what's going on on the other side of the world that day. They're getting, you know, graphics on the screen that show body counts. And it just goes up every day, and the number is just astronomically high. And, you know... People, uh, you know, people are able to look at this and form their own opinions. And I think that, uh, not that people weren't forming their own opinions before, um, but I think that it allowed everyone to tell a more intimate and more in-depth story that reached more people. Uh, and, you know, that, you know, we talked about uh, Kennedy assassination being the, the first bullet if you will, fired in the war on media. And then Vietnam was like the first major battle there where, you know, it was television that was controlling everything. That was the most important uh, media during that conflict. So let's not get off track to, to, to recap a little bit. So from the history of television all the way back when it was invented, when it was something almost foreign to us, uh, to when it becomes something more recognizable encased in uh, and with a CRT, uh, something that you've probably seen. I mean, heck, I had an old TV from a hotel or something where you have to actually, uh, you know, navigate through the channels with like the bands. Oh yeah. You know where you go like left and right, like you're turning a, a, a dial. Okay. And you have to navigate through all of the static to get to the right frequency. Interesting. Um, That's old. So it was kind of fun <laughs> to use that kind of stuff. Um, there uh, are obviously a lot of negative things that we've touched on from television, but it is not just all bad stuff either, right? So does does the bad outweigh the good, or are those things that are dependent on the family and how they um, how they let uh, everyone in the family uh, watch the television, or is that something that should be monitored by? Uh, the government should the government tell us what we can watch <laughs> and when we can watch it more of the 1984 scenario you are not allowed to turn off your television or turn it all the way down <laughs> or it is, must always be on at a very low volume or is it better uh, that we just let things go and uh, and be what they are you know I think it's mostly the latter right I don't know that we're better or worse off in the end for television if having all these reality shows just makes everyone stupider uh, or if you know, the fact that more people can watch the news and stuff like that makes everyone ultimately a little bit smarter, you know, regardless of how jaded your news source may be. Well, but see, and you bring that up, and that's interesting, but I don't necessarily think that intrinsically watching the news makes you smarter than someone that watches a reality show. Obviously, that's a social implication and aspect of a TV show rather than one that's just grounded in facts and figures. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know that I meant to imply that. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying uh, if you think that like news is better than reality shows or bring something uh, more uh, interesting or, or provokes more intelligent conversation, um, then is that the case? Is that what you think? Um, it it's not always the case. Well, so I, I, w- I would say that news tends to do that more than reality shows, but. There's certainly news that is terrible, and there are reality shows that are quality, that show uh, actual uh, reality, that give someone a perspective into someone's life, much in the way that people just like to hear a good story about somebody. 
Well, and then you've got stuff like C-SPAN, which is like the news reality show. It's which is literal reality. Which is the worst programming of all That's time. That's boring reality. <laughs> Punctuated like every few years. You know, Stephen Colbert did the Correspondence Dinner, and that was broadcast on C-SPAN. And I was living in Carbondale when I was going to college, and I only got like three channels. It was like WGN, C-SPAN, and the, like, the local public access station. That's terrible. And I turned it on, and it would just flip through the C-SPAN, because every once in a while I would watch it, because I had it. And uh, I was like, what is Stephen Colbert doing up there? And I watched the whole thing. That was fun. Huh. I'm probably one of the only people I know who could possibly have watched that live. Well, I'm, I'm certainly not one of them. Or... <laughs> I would be, you know, doing something else like assembling a four thousand piece puzzle of the Great Pyramids, uh, while watching C-SPAN. Because That'll work. That sounds like a great, interesting evening to me. <laughs> um, okay, so so we've brought things sort of uh, back to to modern day, right? Yes, yes. You know, uh, the point in the story that we're at. Okay, so uh, everyone is. Everyone has cable. Everyone has satellite television. So a 2010 survey found only 8% of television households, that is households that have a TV, are relying on over-the-air signals to receive television. Um, And that is, you know, the end, the peak, if you will, of the shift to cable and satellite television. So in 2012, two years later, a Nielsen survey, Nielsen being the company that, um, the the king of knowing and uh, calculating television ratings, uh, they showed now 9% of television households were relying on over-the-air signals. A sign may be that cord cutting, uh, which is kind of a phenomenon where everyone decides to uh, not really cut all the media out of their life, but get rid of the cable company, uh, which you know sort of has developed a reputation for uh, price gouging and charging people an arm and a leg for their services. Um, so one of the interesting things about over the air signals nowadays, like we talked about how there was only three networks available back in the day. Now over the air alone, there's probably 30 to 40 networks available in most major cities. I know here in Chicago, we can get almost 50 unique channels over the air alone. And that's not using a fancy antenna that's with a new digital tuner television, which almost every single flat television will have. Um, and you know, rabbit ears sure but you put that into perspective you know in the in the 1980s there were 60 channels and now there's a thousand right so it is it is still in that perspective right there's more cable there's more things that uh that want to charge you money and collect it through the cable company there's absolutely more. but what i'm saying now is that uh people who are trying to cut the cord are going to be able to use that as a supplement yeah, I guess, I suppose. But I think for most of those people, what they have to do is go and jump on another piece of media. So in this case, we're talking about um, something else that can allow them to consume the things that they wanted to consume. Right. So. They'd be on a home theater PC. They would be on a Roku or a Google. Uh, yeah, it's Roku. It it's Chromecast. Chromecast. It's the Fire Stick by uh, Amazon. It's uh, Google TV, although that was kind of... A flop. Um, there's a lot of other ways to to consume television, and I know, for example, you know, paying a couple hundred bucks for a, uh, a utility bill for the for the cable is difficult uh, to stomach. However, 
when you do break it down as far as like how much you're actually um, how much you're actually being charged for how much enjoyment you get out of it then that's that's an interesting conversation um, but I think there's absolutely a lot of uh, value and it's very interesting that perhaps uh, cable might be crumbling completely although it's a slow crumble so it probably it's very slow it crumble. probably won't finish uh, you know crumbling uh, for another 20 years it's like the Coliseum yeah it'll always be there in some form but the thing charging is charging your grandmother <laughs> people aren't stopping uh, they're just finding a different way to get what they want and this is true and so uh, that I guess is sort of the new way that people will consume things because now everyone just has to have internet and they can either steal it or they can stream it uh, and pay some kind of nominal fee for it. Um, and then I guess you, you kind of have like these tiers of people, right? Like you've got people that have an Apple TV where they can just pay 99 cents per episode to watch something. Yeah. And then you've got people that have uh, Hulu or Netflix and they would rather pay like the seven ninety nine or ten dollars per month in order to watch things that are older. Just unlimited watch whatever you want. And now those services are starting to offer their own stuff too. Yep. And then the last thing would be things like Popcorn Time and uh, other places on the internet where you can watch things whenever you want to in 1080p as long as your internet connection is good enough um, for free. Uh, and basically you're just stealing them uh, completely. There's no real uh, ifs, ands, or buts about that. That one is not technically legal. So um, where do you think this goes, right? If... if everyone is able to uh, watch everything for free, then there's no reason why anyone would pay for anything. Um, Which is why I think you're seeing a lot of people cut the cord because it's really easy to steal stuff. You know what? It is really easy to steal stuff. And the funny thing is, is that a lot of people, uh, sorry, not a lot of people, but there, there is a, a lot of people don't think that that's going to ruin it. That's, you know, it's going to ruin the whole thing. And some networks have said, go ahead. Like, you know, the head of HBO, like, brags about how much Game of Thrones gets uh, pirated. You know, they're proud of it. They're proud of the fact that their show reaches so many people. But that's only because they make billions of dollars off of the people that are paying for it. Well, I think that they make some money, less money, on the people who aren't paying for it. Because those people still buy Game of Thrones-related things. Like... Not everyone, not all of them, but some of them do. A, a, a lot of them do, and it helps spread the show. Well, that's because you can't steal things that are made out of matter unless you want to go to jail. <laughs> but but people don't go to jail for stealing an HBO episode. At least uh, this didn't happen since the late '90s and early 2000s when people were stealing MP3s and got slammed with two hundred thousand dollars unreasonable fines. Right. I haven't heard of a case like that in years. That's true. I haven't either. Now what they focus on is shutting down the websites. So the Pirate Bay got shut down, and that was a very common place where people would go and download television and But the Pirate Bay is an aggregator of torrents, and, and that's not actually where the content comes from. And that's the case with most torrent sites. Yep. So you can't really shut it down. Uh, right. You know, they have to shut down the trackers because that's the only uh, pinch point, if you will. It's the only place where you can actually find a physical location where it's all centralized. So what happens when there's a lot of pirates in any industry? Can we compare this to something uh, earlier? Yar. Can we compare this to something earlier in American history or in other kind of electronic 
uh, thing that happened. Like, I know one thing, um, when MP3s started getting pirated, etc., um, well, not MP3s being pirated, but uh, the, like, uh, artists having actual albums out, uh, uh-huh. then what happened was everyone stole music, and then the album sales went down drastically, which they still are. Uh, in severe decline and probably will never go up as high as they used to be when you had to wait in line at Tower Records. Yeah. And so the consequences of that action are that Tower Records and Coconuts and all of the physical places to buy music are now gone. But people haven't stopped buying music. Well, people still buy music, just like people still will buy episodes of uh, television shows, but right. not as many. And And it's going to be a smaller amount of money that they make because there's... The majority of people, uh, well, I shouldn't say the majority. There will always be a large contingent of people that if they can get something for free, they will take it for free. And that's why the music industry got killed. And that's why it costs $8,000 to go to a concert and $50 to buy a hoodie. Because <laughs> none of the music money from the actual music is given back to the artist. It, it has definitely changed the music industry. I don't really see how that could change... Uh, the television industry as much? Well, it already is. Well, it's not like they can go and perform their stuff, uh, you know, it's not like they can go and do it all again. Well, no, you, you've got these places now like Netflix and, and Hulu, etc., that are coming out with all of these shows, their own shows, right? Their original programming for them that's just for that audience, these people that pay a monthly fee. So where it didn't work for uh, a lot of music subscription services, because there were a lot of them that came out, and there's still a couple around, but the ones where you know you would pay ten dollars, twenty dollars a month, and you could you could basically just listen to an unlimited amount of music. Mm. Well, it works a lot better uh, as a television service as it than it did as a music service. Yeah, that's very true. Because there's uh, it, it's just a better medium. It's more um, interactive. Uh, or maybe not interactive, I, more um, experiential. You know what I mean? There's more yeah. more going on. It sucks you in more. Right, exactly. So I a lot of people sit down and watch TV for three hours a night, but uh, not a lot of people sit down um, and you know put on a CD and just listen to the CD. Um, I think that there's just different situations for that. I'll listen to music at work, but I'll watch TV at home. I know, but you're working at work. Yeah, but... Like I'm also, I can also listen to music when I work. Can't yeah, but you? you're doing something else, is what I'm saying. Okay, so you can't, you're right. Not a lot of people just sit down and listen to music and do nothing else. Right, but they used to. They did, and you know what? I like doing that, but I can't do it very often. I get bored. Well, yeah, because I you like watch it too for, much TV. I like it for five minutes <laughs> because TV's ruined you, man. Yeah, it's ruined me too. This is this is, but maybe ruin is the wrong word. Maybe we're looking for an experience that's that's more impactful that's more uh coming at you at different angles so has television spoiled you or has it ruined you well i would say spoil um it depends what you're watching i suppose right so real housewives of atlanta maybe spoils you in one way (laughs) um planet earth spoils you in a different way yeah exactly oh that's that's so fun to watch (laughs) that's a cool show i remember when it first came out uh, and it was an hd uh well, maybe the HD version came out afterwards. I think it was always HD, like from the get go. But it was one of the first shows I watched that was actually in HD, where mm-hmm. I was like HD. Yeah, I remember they made so a big cool. deal about how it was yeah. one of the. It was the first major special like that that was all filmed in HD, and you know that, that's just the, the next step was HD, and we saw that happen, you know, in the last decade or so, where the whole switch from uh, CRT televisions 
you know, and now you don't see them anymore. People see those TVs and they laugh at them. They're like, oh, look at that thing. A little kid wouldn't recognize it. So we're, we're talking about HD and uh, a lot of the shows um, that have come out afterwards in, in our era, not just the modern era, but stuff in the last 10 years. Right. Uh, and you think, as I think, uh, that that has sort of revolutionized uh, this medium uh, as well, just because of the fact that now they're putting out stuff that is uh, on par or better than um, than movies, which used to be the things that we used to go to because they were better than television. Right. A lot of the major talent is started shifting over to work in television or just really work in either. It, you know, it's all sort of blended together now. Like people have amazing television setups in their house so they can watch a get a near theater experience from the comfort of their home, if you will. It sounds like a commercial. <laughs> um but it's true. They can do that. And, you know, we have a decent TV and some loudspeakers, and it helps. And it makes the movie better. That's definitely true. Um, but now with all the awesome talent on television, uh, it, you know, they're ruling the creative airwaves, if you will. So, uh, so shows specifically, for me anyway, uh, stuff that started getting me into that kind of, uh, of zone on TV were shows like uh, Dexter and uh, and Breaking Bad. Um, I think that they are both sort of instrumental in the way that they brought TV up um, and elevated it. And yeah. now you've got a whole lot of shows that are similar to that. So these are dramas that have really good directors and producers and actors. And the hard part before was that all those really talented people, all the really great writers, the great actors, the great producers, uh, they wanted to work for movie sets and movies. because right. That's where the money was. That's where the prestige was. Right. And so now it's kind of flipped around a little bit and you've got a lot of people that used to be um, doing that that have come over to TV. And you've got some people, the best people in my opinion, that started doing TV and now have just become uh, amazing at it. Right. And this is not to take away from those people like J.J. Abrams or, or um, you know, et cetera, that, that have come from TV to go to movies. That's cool, uh, sure. man, you know. It's cool, man. But uh, Do what you want to do, man. But Just don't ruin Star Wars but a lot, any more than it's already been ruined. Well, see, the thing about that, right, and, and, and again, it's going to get us on another tangent, but... To ruin Star Wars, I mean, they ruin it every time they do anything with it because all fans of Star Wars hate when anything is changed in Star Wars. Yeah. So it's not Speaking like... Speaking of hating change, No Dave, one can ever do anything. Today's a very sad day for me. My favorite... One of my favorite shows of this modern era is The Daily Show. And today, a couple hours ago, Jon Stewart announced that he's going to be leaving The Daily Show uh, sometime this year. Well, that's too bad. I, I respect the show and think that Jon Stewart's a funny guy. Uh, how long has he been on there? I mean, isn't it time for him to move on? I think he's been on there since 1999. That seems like so a really long time. So that would be 16 time. years. It seems like he should go somewhere else, Jason. I <laughs> was hoping that he would stay there forever. So you want him to be like a 65-year-old host on The Daily Show? I would watch it. Yeah. I would watch it every day. Oh, boy. See, I If he stayed on until he was 80, I would watch it every day of my life. See, I'm not sure. Or every day that it was on. I'm not sure that's a good thing. I, I really liked it, and I mean, if I liked it for 16 years, then I figured I'd keep liking it. You know, that this is part of the reason why a lot of people, especially, you know, those people probably in the TV industry, uh, also in music industry or entertainment industry in general, are always looking for the demographic between 18 and 34. And the reason is because those people in the ages 18 and 34 will still change their habits depending on what it is that they see. 
But eventually, and I'm not doing this as any as you know, slight against you. <laughs> to, to illustrate my habits at all. Eventually, people, the things that people like and have always liked and watch and have always watched, they will always have. So, you know, it's like you're a guy who drinks dad's root beer because your dad drank it and you've had it all your life. Well, until they stop manufacturing dad's root beer or until you have a doctor tell you that if you drink more dad's root beer, you're going to die. You're going to have dad's root beer every single day for the rest of your life. Um, now I'm not saying the Daily Show is a bad show because it's not. It was great, um, and perhaps it still will be. But do you remember the first time that the Daily Show changed hosts? Uh, there was somebody before Craig Kilborn, I believe, and I don't remember who it was. Did you watch the Daily Show before John Stewart was? The I host? watched a little bit with Craig Kilborn, and this was see I didn't have cable, so I had to watch it at someone else's house. Or thankfully, in 1998, I got a cable modem so I could download television. Uh, and that saved me. You know, that allowed me to watch South Park forever. Sure. Uh, but I, I do remember them switching over to Jon Stewart. Um, and, you know, that was about it. After that, it was all Jon Stewart. Well, we hope that they'll find a suitable replacement. But uh, finishing off the prior discussion that we were having, I'm just wondering, from your perspective... Um, these shows, uh, like I mentioned, you know, Dexter, Breaking Bad, uh, there's certainly lots of other ones. The Wire was a very influential show. Um, another uh, really good one that came out recently was, uh, was Mad Men. Uh, the, of the course, Wire, Game yeah. of Thrones is a, is a great TV program. The, uh, the first show that I got into is a serialized drama, uh, which is what all those major shows are, um, you know, tell a story every week that builds into a larger story was Homicide Life on the Street, which was the guy who then went on cre- to create The Wire and Treme, David Simon, uh, which is an awesome show. What was the first, for you, like show that kind of clicked the serialized drama for you that transitioned you from sitcoms and stuff like that to those? X-Files. Yeah? Long time ago. All right. Did X-Files have a running... Uh, you know, storyline. I cannot each. believe you've never seen the X Files. I'm sorry. I, I'll do it someday. It has an amazing overarching storyline that spawned three movies and a huge cult following uh, in the United States. And you, you like it or don't like it, uh, it's very similar to the. Well, I should say, uh, shows like Fringe are very similar in formula to the X Files in that you know there there were certain things that happened every episode like there would be a not monster of the week but sort of like that you know what i mean so there would be something that happened that they had to deal with but every episode you would find out something else about this huge storyline and that's the reason why that was such a good influential program because the overarching storyline was more important than the monster of the week that's you know that's awesome and so when that started happening and i'm not sure uh, that it was then. I mean, perhaps there were things in the '80s that I'm just not aware of. Sure, but uh, my, my question was, which one? Which one was it for you? Oh, for sure. And obviously, because, it was X Files because that was early '90s, and yeah. at that point, I was like 10 years old. Yeah. So it had to be. I mean, before that, maybe Rugrats with its overarching storyline. All right, all right. No, I, I've, obviously not. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers usually had like a two-parter at the end of the year. I, <laughs> my brother loved that show. I mean, he had the White Ranger watch. Well, look, I was the oldest of <laughs> four cool. kids, so I had you know younger siblings, and they liked to watch it. And like I said, if there was nothing else on, then of course, like we were just going to watch 
whatever whoever's favorite show was on was actually on. Yeah, but so so is that what changed things? Whenever the first shows started having the overarching storylines, which meant that I guess there was a shift in uh, in people's watching habits from just watching occasional shows when they came on, like a variety show or a news network um, or a talk show or whatever, to uh, watching every show because they had to sort right. of... Right, you have to watch every episode of a show and it becomes appointment television. But and, that's not a new thing because that's been going on since radio dramas and uh, and theater plays and books forever ago. So did, did it really take TV so long to learn that lesson? Maybe. I mean, they do seem to be slow learners. They just <laughs> want to do, you know, whatever makes money. Well, yeah, money is definitely a, a important concept for television. So... So all those things that have happened now on TV, uh, we say when we talk about things, uh, let's say there's uh, 150 new shows that come out this season. Yeah. Okay, so out of those shows, you know, I might watch like 15 of them or something like that, and I'll end up probably continuing to watch, uh, these are new shows. Right, new shows. Probably like three. Okay, um, and then there's a few shows that are continuing that you watch. Yeah, but like see, Walking Dead, like Game of Thrones. Yeah, I, well, there's a, there's a ton. Yeah. But but right now, uh, things tend to die out almost at the same rate as the new shows are coming out. But with like Netflix and Hulu now saying that they're going to put out like 20 new original series per year. Yeah. And all these new networks that are popping up on cable, like Pivot and some other things. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that yeah, anymore. There's the new. What's the new show on Pivot? It's uh, Fortitude, which Fortitude. is is kind of like Fargo. Which Fargo was so great. Um, this uh, psychological mystery thriller murder kind of Arctic show. murder mystery. Uh, yeah, I heard one of the descriptions. Right, but so now yeah, there's you, a lot of cool new networks. Well, you have this excess of of good ideas. You have this excess of, of like good writers and actors because everybody wants to get into the business because the business is booming. It's becoming easier and cheaper to make this stuff. And so what's happening is uh, we are literally in probably right now the golden age of drama on television. The the second golden age. Which is always better than the first Or you could call age. it specifically the golden age of drama. Because in the second golden age you have more money. Tell me about it. So on <laughs> Stars there is a show called Black Sales and it's... Executive produced by Michael Bay, just to give you an idea. So every, everything blows up. Then basically. there's many explosions in this show, but they have huge sets and tons of extras. I mean, it reminds me of a slight of a scaled down Game of Thrones in a way because it's all costumed, it's all period, it's got like several very big impressive sets, and they they had to have just built these ships and they're using entire ships and like destroying them. And I mean, it looks great. The, the, the storyline leaves a little to be desired, but the show looks great. Well, that's, that's, And it contains, like Game of Thrones, lots of violence and boobs. And that's what I saw in lots of reviews. It's like, you know, there, there's a certain part of the population, which I can sometimes be included in, depending on my mindset, where if, if a show is on just as explosions and violence and sex, maybe that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, I, I definitely am after a really good storyline. And, uh, and there are a lot of things that are really hitting that there right There are plenty now. of really good storylines that include all those things. But what I'm worried about, I guess, is that uh, any time that all of this builds up to this kind of climax, where there is so, there is so many shows right now that are really good, and there's more coming, and they're supposed to be really good, there's going to be too many things for anybody to watch. And how can this be supported? There but, already is, aren't there? 
Well, uh, I mean, I try my hardest, <laughs> but obviously, I can't watch every TV. I mean, show. right now, it's not. It's we're getting to the busy TV season, like the the real big TV season sweeps and all that stuff. Like April and May is coming up in a couple months, but already there's just almost too many shows to watch. Well, so what I'm saying is that just it keeps piling on, and with all the advent of all these new shows. So, uh, is there really going to be enough money and enough people and like the the infrastructure to support all of this development and money and all these TV series? Is that really going to be what happens, or are we going to see uh, sort of alongside with this cord cutting thing, this kind of collapse of the whole television medium in general, along with the rise of the internet and streaming medium? Now, when I say TV. I don't mean the screen that it's that it's being displayed on. <laughs> right. I don't mean the LED or LCD TV screen that you bought for six hundred dollars at Best Buy. I mean cable that's pumped into it. Yeah. So I still feel like cable is going to go the way of dinosaurs. That not not like the Tyrannosaurus Rex, but that show from nineteen ninety one. Sure. With the it baby will get who's canceled. not the mama. Yeah. Exactly. So. TV will get canceled, exactly. Uh, and those programs that are good enough to, to ride on will just be part of uh, whatever sort of subscription that you tend to be on. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of networks are trying to allow you to just carry on that subscription. HBO Go is going to uh, have that soon. Uh, some of the other major networks are already able to sell that. I think you can get a CBS, like $5 a month sort of thing where you can access all their networks and all their shows. Now, you're a big fan of South Park, right? Of course. So the during the season finale, they had this whole thing with uh, PewDiePie, who's the most popular YouTuber out there. So millions and millions of subscribers. Right. The guy makes money hand over fist. PewDiePie! <laughs> but regardless of that, um, it's it's although South Park always frames things in such a strange way, uh, it's generally bordering on, if not telling us the truth. And this particular truth is that you know kids these days are not really watching television they're watching twitch streams they're watching youtube they're they're doing their own thing it's not really tv so because we are sort of this third generation this golden era uh golden age of of tv drama doesn't it make sense to you that perhaps this is sort of the fall of the roman empire that like you know when when we're 50 years old no one's going to be watching tv except for us <laughs> like, as long as you're still making it, I guess. Watching or maybe, reruns. Maybe finally we'll all get a chance to catch up on all the shows we never got to watch. Can you imagine in 20 years when there's reruns of Game of Thrones? You're like, oh, that old show. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I guess what I'm really asking you is, do you, do you put any stock in this sort of trend uh, to stray away from the television and instead more towards internet streaming, towards real people uh, doing things? Uh, and starting their own sort of channels, their sources of entertainment, or do you think that that that's uh, that's not going to happen? Not granted. I mean, you're a little far removed from Twitch. I understand that. <laughs> this is true. Um, look, going back to your first question, is it sustainable? I think at least for a while, as long as you have these streaming services to support people um, watching them later on yet still provide an income to the networks uh, and to the studios to keep producing shows, uh, then those two are going to have to work together in order to keep making television. Now, who like gets credit for making it? I don't know. Maybe Netflix will get credit for making a lot more television. Um, but as long as, you know, 
they can provide an avenue, uh, you know, a place for people to watch this stuff over a long period of time. Because what you run into is there's too many shows and you can't watch them all at once. So it becomes shows. handy. <laughs> it, it's very handy to be able to go back to Netflix and watch, you know, have the entire series of Lost available to you on Netflix. All in one place. It keeps track of where you left off, all that good stuff. Um, in, you know, 30 years, is it going to be totally... Uh, pointless that's a possibility i suppose well again it's it's not it's not your tv set that goes away necessarily of course at least not anytime soon soon but it's it's maybe the uh the fact that that there's all these cable networks there's this tv guide that you scroll through it's very archaic and they try to update it to look like netflix but netflix will be archaic in 10 years you know like to go through all these little boxes and stuff that's not going to happen and i'm not saying i know exactly i'm just going to flick my finger well, it's not even that. It's pretty much but like in the air, not like you no, know. I mean, it's it's saying or thinking what you want to watch, right? So, like for example, the Xbox One that just came out had this great commercial where it was showing how you could just say, you know, turn on ESPN and then like slide it over with your hand motion, yeah. and then you would have your fantasy scores, and then you'd slide it back, or you would just say, uh, now I would like to watch uh, twenty minutes into uh, Game of Thrones episode six, season five, and it goes bam, and it's in there. Yeah. Um, and but Look, the, the thing is that that's not going to happen for a while because we're 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 going to have to repeat ourselves four or five times before Xbox knows what we're doing. Because we're still not quite to that level yet. We're almost at the point where we can say things um, slowly once in the phones or computers. You're right. You just have up. to like enunciate things very clearly. Okay, Google. <laughs> I'm glad my phone's not in here. Yeah, right. Everyone's phone goes off. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, I, I really like Netflix. I really like having those options. Um, but... All right, so here's what if you want to picture what the technology is going to be, watch Black Mirror, okay? Aside from all the weird, fucked up things that happen in there, and maybe some weird, fucked up things will happen because of the technology. Um, oh, they're very good, but you, you have to realize that's too, the kind of technology we'll have. That's only 10 years in the future, really. That's my point. Yeah. It, that's very near future. That is a, a good recommendation for everybody out there. If you haven't seen this show, it's a BBC show that basically is sort of a dark. Comedy, horror, uh, sci-fi drama um, that is mixing all these genres and is taking place in a world just a little bit more technologically advanced than our own. Right. And uh, it's pretty scary, the stuff that they're thinking about doing with technology. And it's one of those shows where you're like, hmm, that could probably happen like three Novembers from now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, you know... Sort of wrapping it up, I don't think that everything's going to go away. I don't think it's going to change drastically. Like, the the three major networks are still around. They're still the major networks. They haven't dropped. In fact, one of them has joined their ranks. They have Fox now. Uh, but the three major networks all started out as radio networks. So they're just going to move to whatever the next medium is. That's my point. Like, Doesn't mean it's gonna... not going to change. It means they're just going to go with it. Yeah, but... You just don't want it That's to change. I mean, no, it's <laughs> fine if it changes, if it's better, as long as it's better. Well, it's like 3D, right? Like all the adults who are uh, 30 and over go to 3D movies and they're like, oh, my head's spinning around a little bit. But all the little kids that have been watching 3D movies since they were little don't uh, see anything different from the regular 3D movie they go to. Well, there's a dozen things that kids do that they've always done that you know adults have to get used to. And our next podcast is 12 things that kids do that adults have to get used to. Interesting. No, it's not. No, that sounds like a bad BuzzFeed. It's a BuzzFeed article. article. You wouldn't believe what these kids do. 
these kids are crazy. <laughs> um, so so yeah, I mean, obviously, we can't uh, with a hundred percent accuracy predict what will happen going forward. However, having been around for this large part of uh, of TV's uh, sort of golden. Uh, Incline, I guess I'm gonna say golden incline. I mean, that's that's weird. <laughs> it sounds like a very the incline plane of gold. It sounds like a very expensive yet uncomfortable piece of furniture. <laughs> Would you like to sit on the golden incline tonight, or shall I? <laughs> um, anyway, um, I think that what we can predict is that we will continue to see the the people that are subscribing to cable dwindle little by little, and we'll see more of these uh, outside networks. Uh, Netflix and uh, and Hulu uh, and so on uh, coming in with these subscriptions that are kind of nickel and dime, but yeah. provide you with a lot of content. The nickel and dimes add up, buddy. Netflix has 50 million subscribers oh, I'm, worldwide. I'm aware. That's why they have 20 original series coming out this year. Uh, yeah. I mean, ha- have you watched any? What, what Netflix series have you watched? Um, I I have seen uh, Orange is the New Black. Okay, you've probably seen Arrested Development, right? And Arrested Development. The newer season, okay. Did you watch any House of Cards? Uh, I haven't yet. I I heard uh, mixed reviews, although a lot of people have said that the first season was a very, very good television, so it's on my list. Uh, I did not see the werewolfy drama show, although I heard that that was as good as werewolfy drama shows tend to be. Oh, Uh, that's right. Wasn't that with um, Harry Potter? No, I don't think so. Okay. No, there is. Another, I thought he was in a new show. There's a movie that just came out with uh, with him in it. Okay, he has he grows horns. I think it's called Horns. <laughs> in any case, maybe he is in a series. I'm I'm not sure, but we're gonna see a lot of new development from Netflix. However, if they're not able to nail like a lot of these shows, that could be a huge problem for them. Yeah, um, I liked Marco Polo that just came out. That was sort of their, um, you know, sort of bigger sweeping drama. Uh, that I think they did the period all right. I think the acting is a little yeah. bit uh, leads, needs to be desired or whatever. Uh, there was they had they had good writing, not great acting. You're you're right about that. Um, Deliver those lines, Batman. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, More pepper. They've done a good job with picking up shows from the BBC. Uh, they picked up Peaky Blinders as a Netflix only release in the U.S. That's an awesome show. I recommend it to anybody. Um, so you know. I don't know. What do you think about the future? Where do you think it's going to go? Is it going to be all Twitch streams and uh, nobody watching TV anymore? Will there even be like anything resembling a show? Uh, sure. In, in order to understand that, I guess we have to understand where technology as this sort of overarching storyline of our lives is going to go, right? Because yeah. that's what it's always been for me. When I was very little, um, we had a computer, and it's because my, my dad was uh, you know, working in that kind of industry. And as I grew up, we got new computers and, and got new technology, got cell phones, uh, got uh, all sorts of, of cool technological devices. So this is sort of this era where I'm always going to be presented with this shiny new thing that does something cool. Now, whether or not that shiny new thing that does something cool is something that's actually pertinent and important to my life and will save me time, or it's something that's going to distract me, that's kind of the 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 thing that's I'm at odds with here, right? Because a cell phone or a computer or a TV can be a tool of great learning and entertainment, or it could also be like self-destructive 
and evil. Incredibly so, yes. So, I, but again, like you said earlier, I suppose this is nothing more than just uh, an extension of what life has always been for humans, right? Uh-huh. Which is there, there are things that are good and things that are bad, and you have to decide <laughs> how often and how you're going to use them. And to make it you know, work best for you. Yeah, so, so technology goes two ways. Right now, TVs are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, and uh, technology, microchips, etc., are getting smaller and smaller. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm not going to go into exactly what I think uh, the you know future has in store for us, other than to say that ten years from now, I think that we probably won't see these big, huge cable companies. Um, instead, you're going to see that cable turn into like a tiered internet service where you're paying them $200 a month because you want really fast internet. And everything <laughs> else everything else might be free or cost little to nothing. Because like, content, just like on the internet, uh, most content on the internet is free. Right. Um, so I'm not against what you said earlier, which is that you know perhaps all these TV shows, regardless of how much they cost, might end up being free, but they'll probably just end up uh, putting more advertisements, sort of native advertising, which is something I do at my job, uh, which means hiding it as something that looks like your content. Right. So and you know what's funny is this almost goes back to one of the comparisons we had early in the episode, uh, where the uh, there's two different models, right? One of the models is you uh, you pay for everything, uh-huh. and the other model is that you take advertising and you don't pay for much of anything, but you have to sit, you know, you have to experience all the advertising. Yeah, and that's always been the case through every medium of anything. Right. So, you know, that's the difference between the U.S. model and the English model, where the BBC collects licenses and then just produces content. And, you know, the U.S. model, where you have to just sit through commercials all the time. You know, they both work. They do. I personally, I think I would prefer a model where uh, there is no sort of tiered internet, where there is just the internet. Uh, and you pay for access to everything. Well, I'll be sure to forward your preference to uh, <laughs> to our overseers. Well, I I'm hoping that you know it doesn't go that way because I don't think that that way is very friendly to the consumer. Uh, absolutely not. But but you know, being friendly to the consumer has nothing to do with these captains of industry and what they think is more friendly to their wallets. Um, you are 100 percent correct. Of course, I hope that we make some kind of compromise, which is ultimately what generally happens in America. We're talking about America, so. Let's, America. Let's say, for for the most part, uh, we'll probably have um, a a system where there there can be like a whole bunch of money being spent and maybe little little portions of money being spent. Yeah, and that's how it's always been on almost any medium, and it's probably will, how it will continue to be. Um, but I do hope that you know companies like uh, Xfinity and AT and T, etc., can't go on pretending that they're competing with each other while they just take everyone's money. That's very well put. So, I want to thank everyone for joining us for our first of many uh, in-depth discussions about whatever the hell we feel like talking about that night. Um, Coming up next week, we're going to talk about Douglas Adams, the author, a very famous guy. He wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He is one of Dave and I's favorite authors. Um, He's an all-around good guy, so... We'll have all kinds of cool uh, stuff to say about him when we meet again next week at around 9 o'clock on uh, Tuesday night. That'll be the 17th. Now, I want everyone to stay tuned. Around 10.30 or so, in about 10 minutes, 
we're going to do a Better Call Saul podcast. Basically, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the first two episodes of Better Call Saul. This is going to be our first installment of the television show uh, podcast. So I want to thank everyone for joining us uh, to talk about the history of television. Um, please, if you have any questions, if you want to talk more about it, hit us up on Twitter, email us, go to our website. Dave, thanks and for hanging out. If you're not listening live, of course, you can check out later on TV Soup. Retrospectacle!